I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, it's Lenny Villardo! I am the young Pope. I'm so excited. (laughs) Whoever would have thought a young Jewish guy like you would rise to the top of the Catholic Church? Chris, look, I'm excited to be doing this podcast. We've got a lot of TV to review. We're not even going to spoil young Pope. I just want to tell the people one thing right at the top of the show. Tell me. I want to tell people... But the other night, I watched two episodes of HBO's new series, Young Pope, The Young Pope. And I want <laughs> people to know that the next morning, I'm not shitting you, the next morning, I woke up and I felt great. I felt invigorated. I felt excited. And I was like, why, why do I feel so good for the first time since November 8th? <laughs> it's because I watched two episodes of The Young Pope because TV is healing people. TV is religious. And this is the show we've been waiting for. Do you think that there's somebody at like Nat Geo or History Channel who is working on A Young Pope and is like, shit, <laughs> damn it. Well, no, I think that's why they called it that because there was, was going to be a lot of competition in that space. Yeah, you know, the just Pope in the space pa- is, in the, is, there's a lot. No, the, the, it's prime for disruption. Guys, the papal space is really hot right now. And um, going young is always a good idea. You know, it's like we had the Muppets. You make Muppet babies. You have a pope. You have the young pope. There can't be another one. Stake out your corner, HBO. Do it. Andy, today we are going to be talking about... Uh we're going to talk a little bit about the Young Pope towards the end of the episode, just previewing it for Sunday night's premiere. But before that, we are going to talk a little bit about who won the week. Uh, and then we're going to review Taboo and Netflix's One Day at a Time. Uh, so yeah. why don't we get to it? Because we've got a lot of stuff to do. You know, we did who won the week a while ago, and we sort of dropped it uh, among other segments that we always drop and pick back up again. But we're going to try and be a little bit more consistent about it. This one's really easy for me. It's Migos. Hey! I really want to thank uh, the Migos, not for being in the show, but for making Bad and Bougie. Like, that's the best song ever. So um, they have the number one song in the country right now uh, in Bad and Bougie. And they they you know, it's a testament to how otherworldly and insane this week has been for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that happened Sunday when Donald Glover shouted them out, and it feels like it was so long ago that the Golden Globes happened, doesn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I was actually going to make the only person I had to nominate for who won the week is actually the guy you just mentioned. I was going to mention Donald Glover who won the week because this dude won two Golden Globes on Sunday night, and then today at the TCA press tour, um, FX made their presentation and they announced that. They just reached a what has to be extremely lucrative overall deal with Donald Glover to mm-hmm. continue making Atlanta and do many other projects for them. Well deserved. They also announced that Atlanta is not coming back until 2018, yeah. which is a huge bummer, although creatively very generous because they literally went on stage and said, we weren't going to tell him he couldn't do Star Wars. That's yeah, because he's playing. Yeah, because he's playing the the young Lando. Yeah, l- not young, a Lan- young Lando, the young Lando, but young Lando, which is one of my favorite Migos songs, actually. So you think Migos won the week? Uh, yeah, I just think you have the, they have the number one song and that like when Donald Glover got his first award that sort of coronated his incredible personal creative achievement, he went up there and was yeah. just like, shout out the Migos. That's that's huge. That would be like if uh, I, I, if Meryl Streep got up on stage and was like, shout out Ryan Adams, you know? Can I, first of all, that would be a great moment. Second of all, can I just do a quick counter? I know that we've just reinstated this bit, and Ooh. I don't want to cut its legs out. 
But I was just going to suggest an alt for this week, which is who lost the week, and that's everybody. Can I try that one? I don't know. Retired British spies. <laughs> they're, they're killing it. Oh, that, that's actually true. How about, like, if there's no other silver lining from this week, it's the, it's that for you and I, like, as as big fans of British spies and the fiction web of fiction and nonfiction that they weave, it allowed us to read in print the sentence, British former British spy goes to ground. Yes. I mean, have you ever gone to ground? I believe Migos have gone to ground. <laughs> I, I haven't. The opportunity. This was also a very, you know, a couple, I think it was maybe two years ago, this book came out um, by Jason Matthews called Red Sparrow. And I remember it kind of was like a big sensation when it came out. And it's now going to be a movie with Jennifer Lawrence and Jeremy Irons and um, directed by Francis Lawrence. And it, it, it's a, I, I, bought the book and I was like, oh, everybody, everybody in the, the espionage fiction community is raving about this. And I read it. Yeah. I started reading it. And I was just like, sex spies? Really, guys? You know, compromising material? For, like, are you serious? Yeah. And it turns out, yes, they were. It, it, it was a little, you feel like it was a little far-fetched? It, I thought <laughs> at the time, I was just like, are we really doing sex spies? But we are. Does this make you feel more nervous about the night we spent at like the w san diego when i did the banshee panel at comic-con a few years ago <laughs> like do you do you like you really don't know what time, i did to your room while you were doing the banshee panel <laughs> long time listeners will know that i that i did we talked about this on the pod that that was like we we, we were like we were like uh like slumber party buddies because we, we had one yeah. room and two beds and 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 you know generally we we aren't in those circumstances where we're going to sleep and you were like well if that's all you'll be needing me for i'll be resting now and you just popped in your earbuds and like lay like felt lay down like dracula over the <laughs> over the covers and just slept for like nine hours <laughs> at least it had been a long day i thought it had been a long day all right <laughs> uh migos and donald glover you guys won the week let's move on to uh should we do taboo or one day at a time first i think we should do, let's do one day at a time because we'll probably spend less time doing that and more time on taboo Sure. Okay. One Day at a Time is a new show on Netflix starring Justin Machado. It is uh, sort of shepherded. I don't know if day to day it's, you know, I'm not sure that Norman Lear is really out there like cracking stories. But Norman Lear, you know, it was a, a Norman Lear show from the 70s or the 80s? 70s. Although 70s. one that pretty much, you know, I, I was talking with a with a friend today about like there's a whole bunch of like sitcoms that just were on when we were children that were probably dealing with interesting adult themes that we just didn't know that's what they were about. Right, right, right. Uh, you remember like 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 Too Close for Comfort and like uh, It's a Living and all these shows. For me, One Day at a Time was one of those, and I guess it was quite groundbreaking at the time because it was about a single mother raising two daughters and. Uh, with a creepy neighbor, which is, you know, a universal situation. But <laughs> it ran for 200 episodes, nine years. I mean, this was a big, big, big deal show that has, you know, I think in terms of the cultural conversation, has definitely not been a part of it. I can't ever tell, like, whether or not nine years was a lot in the 80s. Like, when, like, would you just, like, go into a bar in Hollywood and be like, what do you do? And you'd be like, I've been working on one day at a time since the Carter administration. <laughs> you know, it would just be like drink, drinking a Schlitz. and, and yeah, it, Well, no, it would be at Spago because these yeah, right. were like, they made 200 episodes <laughs> right. of television. Yeah, I would be like, I, I make so, I have like a, like the, the GDP of Guatemala wrapped up in this, 
in this syndicated sitcom. Yeah, the, the the townie bar that you're sketching out is the is the one that the executive producer had built, lovingly constructed like a ship in a bottle in the bottom of his Pacific Palisades mansion. Right. That's but, what TV was like. So this show, uh, like all Netflix shows, seems to come out of nowhere. It pops up, and there was a flurry of talk about it. Allison wrote about it for The Ringer. There was a lot of people uh, talking about it last week, I believe. Uh, I watched um, more or less all of it. They're very digestible. Um, It's sort of like the inverse in a lot of ways to The Ranch in so much as uh, whereas The Ranch dealt with um, sort of more red state uh, kind of Colorado ranch life, uh, rural um, life. This is uh, about a Cuban-American family living in Echo Park um, and dealing with being a single-parent household for the time being. Uh, It's it's Justin Machado plays... The matriarch, and then she, her mother lives with the family, played by Rita Moreno. And there's some really excellent performances by the kids in the family. And it has mm-hmm. that same like multicam staged, you know, like live to tape comedy feel that you sort of recognize if you grew up in the '80s and watched watch sitcoms. But has that uh, modern edge, you know, whether it's the subject matter, the dialogue, the naturalism of the performances. Although to be fair, I think that if you go back and watch like a Cheers, even it's just like it's remarkable how theatrical in, the, in, a, yes. in a play, it's almost like a play. The performances are all very lived in. They're not, you know, you watch like a, a Too Many Cooks and you think everything in the 80s was just like people bursting through the door and be like, it's me. But it's like, <laughs> like they were very. Um, Tell me more about that. They show. were very naturalistic back then. And I think that this this version of the uh, this this reboot uh, really captures that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you you really nailed it when you said theater. I mean, I, I think that we definitely are spoiled with the you know the quality and the prestige television that we are inundated with at the moment. But it's the format that we grew up on. The multicam sitcom has really been forgotten in many ways, or at least looked down upon. It's you know it's easy to disparage it because. While large swaths of America, in fact, a majority of America still prefers to receive their sitcoms that way. I yeah. mean, The Big Bang Theory is the number one show on TV by a ridiculous margin. Those shows exist in a essentially an alternate reality from the cultural conversation that we usually like to take like to be a part of. Um, yeah, I think in, that's in some unfair. Ways, Big Bang Theories had the belt for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there, there's really no conversation. There's yeah, really right. only one belt and they and they have it. Um so to go back into this world after having issued it for a very long time is a little bit surprising and a little bit, um, it threw me off. You know, generally multicam sitcoms, they, I feel like this is almost always the case, like the opening scene of them. And this is also the problem with writing pilots in general, because, you know, you, you got to do all this exposition and then you can actually get into what you want to do. Yeah, right. They, I feel like they, they always start much like this one day at a time reboot starts, which is a scene with the lead character in a professional setting with a very broadly drawn guest star Mm -hmm. that basically allows for an info dump and some quick laughs. And when I was watching those first few minutes and I know I won't be alone in it, you know, especially coming off of, you know, raving about Atlanta and shows that are very, very um, modern and cinematic in the way that they're, they're conceived of and and performed and shot. I was like, I can't do this. I'm out. It's so, you know, the, the hearing the people laugh and clap and, you know, and the sort of, just, just the the way the lines are delivered, I I felt like I was going to be out, but I kept watching and you keep watching and you keep watching and it's not so hard to slip back into those rhythms, A. And then B, you see the the skill that went into not just the writing, and this is a very well-written show. Yeah, right. In the performances, it is theater. It is essentially watching theater. And, you know, there are plenty of people who think theater is a, is a, is 
they're out on theater. It's a, you know, it's a deal breaker. Like I was talking to someone whose taste we generally respect a lot who may or may not have been on this podcast recently talking about television. And this person does not like Hamilton, oh. you know, and you and I loved Hamilton. But for some people, once they start rapping about history, they're like, nah. Yeah, right. Check, please. Sure. There, there, there are some there's there, there are some there, pe- there are, there are impediments. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I, in the I, same way that, that that I don't watch, I don't watch horror movies, Chris, because I just don't like them. But yes. in this case, it is worth getting over the hump and the sort of disorientation of being back in this world because I was very impressed once I let myself go into it. Um, the two things I would add about that, you're you're exactly dead on there. One of the interesting things is if you watch this whole first season, I believe it's a 13 episode batch that you can watch all all at once. Um, I think it's 13 episodes. It's pretty it much is. plotted in an arc it's like a it's like the the thing that the, the they start talking about um the kinses for for the the, the daughter in the first episode mm-hmm. and that's the sort of the last episode it's not a spoiler to say is called kinses so it's like it, it has like a a tra- narrative trajectory that's closer to say you know westworld you know you know what i mean that it is the very episodic nature of say Big Bang Theory, where there might be a couple of storylines that are continued over a season or seasons, but for the most part, it's uh, it, it it's the the one where friends type situational comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that that is like a cool thing to watch happen. And then um, the other thing is just the freshness and uniqueness of the stories being told, which actually are both at one time like you know criminally underserved on most platforms like you don't get mm-hmm. to see a lot mm-hmm. of stories about cuban american families on television if any but are staggeringly universal for anyone who would tune in for anyone who watches mom or anything else mm-hmm. if you watched one day at a time i think you would be like oh my gosh like this is this is just like a uni- these are universal themes yeah, one thing that I really appreciate is the fact that um, it's allowing Norman Lear, both the man, but also the work that he did and what it represents, to be brought back into the conversation so that you can see the not the actually pretty bright line that can be drawn between his shows like, you know, All in the Family and, and Maud and, and I guess the original One Day at a Time to the conversation we're having today about what is a comedy. You know, we spend a lot, you, you and I spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about um, how some of the more, more interesting and reaching emotional and dramatic work on TV is being done in the half-hour format. Yeah. This is not necessarily a new development. You know, it is striking to see the skill with which the um, the writers of the, the premiere of, of One Day at a Time, and that's the showrunner Gloria Calderon-Kellett and, and Mike Royce, who's a veteran of a lot of the, I think he worked on Big Bang Theory. Oh. The way that, the way that they steer the show from relatively broad laughs to suddenly some pretty dark and interesting places. Oh, yeah. And it's also a testament to Justina Machado's performance because she is just on one. I mean, she never dims. And she she carries this character through, you know, bantering in a, you know, sort of a, a situational setup with her daughter to basically saying that I am alone in this world. My husband is gone. You know, I'm considering to getting on antidepressants yeah. and then back. Yeah. And that's actually more how life works in terms of having to be a funny present person and being an actually messed up emotional person within the span of a minute like that that's more realistic than carrie going off her meds and being a genius and then you know and then going back on them and just listening to jazz yeah. i feel like it's a little <laughs> bit more true to life Renting out that i didn't expect yeah i think I, if I also you just want to oh go ahead you i also just want to give the show credit for doing the one thing that i'm so glad that it didn't do which is it it bucked the trend of having the uh bearded neighbor be a squealing man baby character like on broad city 
and on the late lamented Mulaney and just like there was that run when like that dude it, it's not just you know the dude on Broad City is fine but I just mean like that type of yeah they're all built uh, from Adam know. Pally's happy endings character exactly we, we grabbed the next guy at the groundlings or whatever who, who was like that like right. I'm really glad they went in a different direction uh, I would say that this is a show that you should check out if you are a fan of CBS sitcoms and it's also a show you should check out if you are a fan of Horace and Pete and uh, Carmichael yeah, show that's a good point. And, you know like I think it's I I it, it it really does have a huge heart and there's a lot of the television we talk about doesn't, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, I, I would just say in general, like even if you watch it and you're like, nah, I'm out after 15 minutes, after 30 minutes, I would recommend people who are fans of TV watch it just so you're aware of like how hard, the amount of skill necessary to do something, even if it's not something you're into. Absolutely. It's, it's really well done. Speaking of things like that, Andy, the amount of skill it takes. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> no, how hard it is to no. be Tom Hardy, my man. So I think we are going to disagree slightly about our final evaluations of Taboo. Um, But Taboo is a new show from FX. It debuted on, I believe, Monday. Uh, It's written by Stephen Knight, who uh, wrote the recently released Allied with Brad Pitt. I think it's on Tuesdays. It's on Tuesdays. Okay. And then he, Stephen Knight also did uh, Locke, which was another Tom Hardy movie. And and (laughs) Peaky Blinders. (laughs) Peaky Blinders. Uh, yeah, so Stephen Knight, veteran of television and movies. I actually am quite a fan of his work. Um, and this was an idea that was a character, from from what I understand, there's a character that Tom Hardy sort of came up with when he was doing, uh, over the course of doing Oliver Twist, an Oliver Twist production for the BBC. And he brought it to his father named Chips Hardy, naturally. Yes. And uh, they brought it with you know Stephen Knight. They developed it. And it is a story set in 1814. Um, Tom Hardy plays this presumed dead uh, son, a presumed presumed dead man named Jim Delaney, returns from parts unknown, Africa, etc., to claim his inheritance that's been left to him by his recently late father. Um, and in claiming this inheritance, which is a a sort of strip of land in the middle of the Pacific, or not in the middle, but you know, off of the coast of uh, of the United States, in, Canada, you know, in, in Canada. So basically, up in the Pacific Northwest. He's put against the East India Shipping Company, which is giant, obviously, like the sort of conglomerate of that era, as well as the British Crown and, uh, you know, his own family. Um, and he, Delaney, as played by Tom Hardy, loves to walk up to people and be like, I'm going <laughs> to kill you in a super interesting way. Now, your this has been said about this show a bunch. Your mileage may vary based on how much mileage you get out of Tom Hardy. I am the long road trucker of Tom Hardy. So this show, aside from his incredible performance, which is so physical and so atmospheric and crazy and awesome, I happen to just love the dialogue of this show. I think so far, you know, like you could, there's lots of, you could take shots at this show, but this just gives me such awesome Deadwood vibes and I just think, it, wow. you know, it, it, wow. I thought the dialogue was really, really fun. And the, the supporting cast is excellent. Jonathan Price, Una Chaplin. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really, really, really liked the first episode and what I've seen of the show. I want to be clear about one thing going into this. The word fun in relation to taboo has only ever been used by Chris Ryan on this podcast 15 seconds ago. This is not a fun show at all. This show is, if it's good for anything, it is good as a, it is good for being a cautionary tale as to why you shouldn't let actors do too much. <laughs> this is, this is, 
This is a vanity project with a capital vanity project and with all that entails. This is Tom Hardy. And did you read the interview he did with? Yeah, Matt but that's Sykes like you're just getting gassed by like the the narrative that they're putting forward to sell the nah. show. Nah, yeah. no, I'm not because this is a dude. Tom Hardy sketched a character he wanted to play, and spoiler alert: the character has a funny voice and interesting hair, and wears a hat because that's what Tom Hardy, the God, likes to do. <laughs> there is always too much of a good thing that is possible, and Tom Hardy was like, "Here's what I want to do: I want to wear a cool outfit." Show my uh, show my neck in a way that wasn't wasn't appropriate for the era. I want to mumble things. I want to cough and snort. I want to blow dust at people and be able to say things like, "Let's not speak of my mother when we're drinking brandy." Like it's <laughs> it's preposterous. It's entirely preposterous. But the worst thing about it is that it's no fun. He's having fun. Because he's created this sort of, you know, uh, uh, mystery box for himself to play in and another another uh, skin to lose himself in. But I, I just found it to be such a chore because it steers into every actorly tick that he has that when done in moderation or done, you know, when under someone's control who can control him or cut away from him is, is genius because he is a total chameleon. And that's amazing. But a chameleon can just get a chameleon can get lost. I think that, I mean, to some extent, you know, that's, that's ultimately what I mean by your mileage may vary. I happen to find the story actually pretty fascinating. It's not something I knew a lot about. uh, And I actually am not wild about usually early 19th century stuff. Like I just don't just never been my bag, but I found that the, the, the introduction of the East India agency, which apparently is, you know, there's some debate about how historically accurate it is, which is fine. I'm not, I'm, wasn't a big fan of the East India Company before this or losing my opinion <laughs> after. But this sort of idea that they were this uh, all-seeing eye and that they had agents and that they had you know muscle men and that they were this basically like incredibly violent, faceless mega corporation, you know, out there trying to control trade around the world in the name of the British crown, but also for their own gain. And then when you put you put Jonathan Price in there, I just it's it's just a, a real real fireworks. I don't know. I I understand what you mean, but it's not fun. It's not fun. Uh, rarely are things that are set in um, early nineteenth century yeah. London fun. It, but you know, I think that once you sort of go with it, it's it's there. I I I, I totally understand what you're saying. It's not for everybody, but it it is for me. Price is price is great. Like I I take back what I said about fun because he was having fun. Um, that the again the ideas are fine but they just needed to be reined in because what he wanted to play was a, he wants to play a superhero basically because the other problem i had with the show and people who've seen the premiere probably agree with me he's right about everything don't, you don't know, assume he just, what he, our listeners agree sw- with listen <laughs> he swaggers into every scene and is right he knows exactly how to play everything you know in a sort of almost james bondian way which well i think that there's a supernatural really that element that we're not quite isn't quite been no explained. but it, should we, should we? Is it worth poking at the fact that that the god Tom Hardy also essentially has cast himself, created for himself a role that is supposedly mixed race, and so everyone can just call him N word all the time? I mean, I just feel like some weird decision making that strikes me not as the most creative decision making, but as the kind of decision making you make when the star is in the room and tells you what he wants to do, and you're like, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, no, go with that. Go with that. Put." Put more face paint on, please. I can't believe you've you've become management. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, you turn against you. actors? 
It's true. You know, it's it's when I went up to, up to the executive suite. You know, I yeah. used to be down on the play on the playing floor, but yeah. now I'm up there with uh, with Billy Bean, and I'm like, nah, they're all they're all replaceable. I'm they're down here with Tim Robbins making WPA theater. <laughs> are you? But are you really like? Real talk, like I. We this all is like not Tom a Hardy. bit. I actually really, really liked it, and I, I, I almost I knew you didn't, and I knew you were like, eh. But like I, I, I just thought that there was like a level of skill across the board. I, I really liked the direction from Christopher Nyholm. He did a lot of the killing stuff. I saw something interesting. I think it was maybe Sean Collins and Vulture. I can't remember, or maybe Rob in. I think it was Sean, but it might have been Rob on the Ringer. Both pieces, it's Sean's recap and Rob's piece about the show in general were both really excellent about the um the fact that the show looks like a lot of other shows and and I've been thinking a lot about um mm-hmm. as this sort of we've handed over some power in television to directors I don't know if you like them or not I mean you're you're okay with them right they're fine okay uh <laughs> as we've you see like a lot it become a more of a director's medium it's led to a strange flattening of the way a lot of television shows look because I think a lot yes. of people are still like You'll see shows that are basically like trying to copy Fukunaga season one True Detective or some of the first season of The Nick. So it but just not as not as well, you know, and and there is like a weird every shot has to be perfect. And when every shot is perfect, nothing is perfect. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, Sean actually mentioned that he was like, I actually that he I think he said something about somebody was saying that they really like the OA because it was so bright. Uh, and shot during daylight and looked like real life in a lot of time, the, a lot of the times that weren't involving right. uh, trans trans dimensional travel. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like there's a lot to think about there. I I, I take it you won't be uh, canoeing down the Thames with me it, anytime soon. No, I mean it looks like you know they they spent a fortune on it, and God bless them. I just can't imagine wanting to spend seven more hours in that world. It, like there are, there are limits to my love for Tom Hardy. Okay. Okay. It's okay. Okay. All right. We, okay? we can we can we can disagree. I'll I'm just, just picturing you lying back. <laughs> I'm just picturing you lying back down on the covers, closing your eyes, and just being done with the podcast. No, what I'll do is now every week I will um, read a letter to you from me in Tom Hardy's voice as like a letter from Taboo. That I would like. Okay. That let's book it. That's our new segment. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the Young Pope. <laughs> Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Throwing Shade. The critically acclaimed podcast from Funny or Die is now a late show on TV land. It's hosted by a lady and a gay man, feminasty Aaron Gibson and homosexual Brian Safi. Throwing Shade is a smart, funny, irreverent weekly current events comedy talk show. Brian and Aaron look at the headlines in politics and pop culture and treat them with much less respect than they deserve. Entertainment Weekly called Brian and Aaron the perfect combination of silly, intelligent, cynical, and charming. They're also hilarious. And their timing couldn't be better as we begin the President Trump era. This is the show America needs right now. Brian and Aaron don't try to make sense of the world. They just try to make fun of it. There's nothing else like it on television. It's the antidote to the current insanity in politics and pop culture. And you don't want to miss Brian and Aaron's take on what's happening in the world. From Funny or Die, it's Throwing Shade. Wildly inappropriate, always funny, occasionally important. Starts Tuesday at 10.30, 9.30 Central, only on TV Land. All right, young Pope. Let's talk about this young Pope. Uh, Andy, it's been an interesting time for you to be uh, off social media. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was that not a compliment? <laughs> no, it's not. A, it's it's an observation because I wonder. You're a sensitive person. I wonder how much you would have been 
amped for this show. I mean, you're stronger than anything I know. You know, you're one of the strongest people I know. Uh, wow. But I wonder if you were strong enough <laughs> yeah. to resist all the memes that happened over the last two weeks about the young Pope and whether that would have... I love memes. What are you talking about? It would have sapped your enthusiasm a little bit. I, I don't. Memes do nothing but make me more excited. They make me stronger. I feed on memes. <laughs> you eat I, these I, don't, memes. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, okay. Like, I think that the show would, I don't know. I think, I think, I think this show it makes memes. That's great. It should. Like, it's not even out yet. Here, here's my thing about the show. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my read on this. Now, uh-huh. so the guy who made the show, Paolo Sorrentino, like mm-hmm. this is, we, you, a minute ago, you talked about how like more auteur-driven television, more director-driven. That's not what this is. Like this is actually a accomplished Academy Award-nominated filmmaker making a television show. Mm-hmm. Like fully. He, it is completely his thing. He wrote it. He directed it. Every inch of it, you know, is, is, is his. That is different than someone like Kerry Fukunaga collaborating with Nick Pizzolatto and, and you know, and directing, directing the living shit out of, out of a certain television show. Mm-hmm. This is completely one very specific dude's aesthetic universe. And I highly, highly recommend people check out The Great Beauty or his last movie was Youth. They are not for everyone, but they are a calling card to what it is that he does and what he is committed to. And I couldn't, so I'm a fan of those movies. I started watching the show, and even from the commercials, and I was filled with exhilaration and glee at the possibility of what television could be and what this, what this storyteller is doing within the medium. All I want to say for people, and people haven't watched it yet, we're not going to say many more details about it, but I want to say this. It's supposed to be funny. It's okay to laugh. It is outrageous. It's also quite serious and dramatic and surprising and fucking bizarre, but it's okay to laugh at this. And I just feel like it, you know, the, the, the small amounts of criticism that I've seen bubble up are people being like, oh, I don't get this, or it's campy, or it, it can't be serious, can it? It's like, of course, not. it's all of it. Like, this dude is a maximalist. He's an extremist. He's like, he's a little, he, he loves, clearly loves Fellini. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch The Great Beauty, which you should, you will not know what is happening for at least 19 minutes when, like, his, the main character's uh, drunken dancing dwarf editor stops dancing and falls asleep on the roof of the party. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Here. So I'm just saying buckle up and let it let it happen, man. Just ex- accept the body of Christ as long as the body looks like Jude Law. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know what? I don't even – I don't have I, – I would never even dream to sap people's enthusiasm for this show. I, I, I watched the first one and enjoyed it a lot because it was just so different tonally and uh, in terms of its narrative construction. I also would never dream – of insulting a television show that featured three uh, images of three Napoli soccer players because I'm a huge Gonzalo Higuain fan, even though he's on Juventus now. So sh- shout out to my Serie A heads. Um, I just think that y- you got to check this out. Um, y- it's so visually sumptuous in a way that is so outrageous that I kind of can't believe it's... I, it's rare that you're like, I can't believe this is on television. It, you know, that'll happen with like Battle of the Bastards. But I can't believe that because it's it is very much like the visuals and the dialogue are of a piece. You're right. This is a a, a truly a, a Herculean effort on the part of Sorrentino and then his collaborators. I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you think the pitch process was for this? Because I think it's three words long. It's one of those things where I'm like, did you just walk into the this the, the office and and just sit down and say the young pope? 
Yes. Yeah. Like, what right? you, it wouldn't I mean, be like, tell me more. What's your angle? What's his motivation? Does he have some daddy issues? What, like, where, where's the conflict? Where's the hero's resolution? It's just like, no, the, it's just the young pope. It's just the pope, but he's and, young. It, it sells itself. I mean, the show sells itself just with the image of Jude Law looking the way he does, smoking a cigarette, drinking a cherry Coke Zero, or you know these 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 just sumptuous, hilarious cutaways to like old cardinals eating muffins, looking at their iPads. Yeah. I mean, every frame is considered. Every frame is commenting on something. Sometimes it's just celebrating the sublime and the ridiculous at once. But this is what's possible when you know a filmmaker says, "Yes, I have something I want to do with you," and the right collaborators and in this case it was um it was a sky atlantic hbo and, and canal plus were just like oh great okay great, great plus pronunciation well you said siri ah the moment a minute ago i had to keep up i was thinking but about like, dropping a plus earlier and then i was like that nobody would believe me nah check plus plus man like, this is <laughs> this is the kind of show it is this this it, it, no one got in his way and he's the sort of person that you don't want to get in his way and he gets jude law and he gets diane keaton and james cromwell and these wonderful italian actors who make up the rest of the cast he films it in rome i, I can't even imagine y- y- you start to wonder how much this costs but then maybe it doesn't even matter you know like maybe they just know how to film things or maybe he knows the guy in vatican city <laughs> i know it's just it, it's it's just so sumptuous and it was just so exciting to me like i was just Chris, I, I cannot, I just want people to understand that I was cackling with glee watching this show. It just made me thrilled. Television's it, got something for everybody. Feeling. It's a little bit of that feeling I had when I was watching Atlanta the first time too, where I was just like, oh, they're doing it. Yeah. Oh my God, they're yeah, doing you're it. Right. The training wheels are off. You're right. And it, it made me so excited. And I got to say, it's not a movie. You know, the, the episodes are constructed, at least as many, I've seen two. So far, they are constructed as episodes, which is also pretty exciting um, because, you know, in a world that we're living in where like a day or two, a day or two ago, it annou- there's an announcement that the Coen brothers are making something for television. Yeah. But it's a wet, but, it, but all by, if you read between the lines, it's like, it's, sounds like they're making a two hour movie that maybe they're going to put on Netflix or something. Like, yeah, it was it's, a little it's bit kind sketchy. of a similar release. I think that they're like modeling it after what they're doing with Dark Tower, which is they're going to put a movie out and then they're going to have... If it's if there's interest, they're going to try and do a series and then maybe another movie to end it. It's 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 a lot of it's a it, shoot your shot, but that's like I still don't know whether or not people are going to go to the movies and then watch the series and then go to the movies again or or what have you. Yeah, I mean we're we're entering a, a space where everything is everything, where anything could be anything, and you know they're trying to blur the lines as much as possible. This is a project that knows knows what it is. And, you know, I, I haven't I, hopully by next week I'll have caught up or maybe even I'll be able, be able to finish the OA so we can talk about it. I have a lot of storm clouds brewing and that everyone looks at me and they're like, have you gotten episode five yet? Yeah, I know. So I have some concerns about what's coming. But, you know, I, I also just want to say that, like, just consider the, the praise that I gave the first two episodes of the OA, which I'm not walking back, by the way that was the training wheels version of this speech where I was basically like, these are people who had an aesthetic thing they wanted to do and they did it um, to, to, to an end that is TBD. This is, this is the a plus plus version, man. This is, this is what you want. We'll be this bringing, uh, we'll be bringing the Pope back on Monday uh, to discuss more in detail about after episode one. And we'll talk about a bunch of other stuff. Uh, maybe bring, sounds like we're bringing the belt back to, given, given how excited you yeah, are. That's- uh, Let's bring the belt back on Monday. We should because it's been a minute. We don't know what's got it. It's a new year, a lot of new TV. Let's belt's coming back on Monday. Let's do it. All right, uh, Andy. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. 
God bless you, Baranski. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Throwing Shade, the critically acclaimed podcast from Funny or Die, is now a new late show on TV Land. It's a weekly current events comedy talk show hosted by Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi. Brian and Aaron take a look at the headlines and politics and pop culture and treat them with much less respect than they deserve. From Funny or Die, it's Throwing Shade, wildly inappropriate, always funny, occasionally important. All new Tuesdays at 10.30, 9.30 Central on TV Land.